With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast live today on Facebook, of course, across your usual podcast platforms. And today I am joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones and Gav Buckens, which in fact over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. But of course, I think a fair chunk of today's podcast, given it is the international break and it is the new story of the week, of course, we'll be chewing the fat over all the major talking points at St. James's Park, uh, Newcastle's takeover, of course, by Saudi-backed consortium has gone through and we'll be discussing the ramifications for the Premier League as a whole, what impact that may have on Everton and Newcastle suddenly a new rival, you know, have they got intentions to do what Everton have been trying to do since Farhad Mashiri took over the football club. So that's really going to be the thrust of today's pub but of course also, also some reflections on uh, as an international break allows us reflections on the first seven games of the season and I'll, uh, I'll be asking the lads some questions that were put to me this week uh, and see if we have similar thoughts on the new signings, the manager's performance so far, and, and, and expectations after a good good start. Um, okay, Pren, we'll start, we'll start with you, and I, we'll, we'll go into that question then. Newcastle, uh, £300 million takeover, backed, um, sorry, 80% at least, by a consortium of uh, the private investment fund from Saudi Arabia, instantly becoming effectively the richest football club in the world um, by by virtue of that. Um, are you concerned that Newcastle are going to become, in the next couple of years, three, four, five years, a real force in the Premier League rather than where they are now, scrapping at the bottom, scrapping to stay in the division up and down a little bit, you know, in turmoil? Are they suddenly now, backed by all this new, new money that, that they're being promised, um, a concern for you? I wouldn't go as far as to say a concern. I mean, clearly they are going to perform better, you know, because they can afford better players, they can afford bigger wages. Uh, but there's an awful lot to happen between now and suddenly, you know, so materialising as a, a top six challenger, a top four challenger. They've got to spend that money wisely straight away. Um, and as Manchester City discovered, you know, so way, way back when they were given that wealth, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. And it took several changes of manager and several influxes of new players before they became, you know, the force that they currently are, um, spent wisely and, you know, so crucially getting the managerial appointment right. Uh, yeah, they, they should improve significantly. Whether that's enough uh, to see them challenging at the top end of the table, you know, an awful lot remains to be done. Bottom line is it makes the Premier League altogether more competitive again and more challenging again. And Everton do need to raise the game uh, to, you know, so stay ahead of, you know, sort of nouveau challenges like this. So it makes the whole landscape interesting. Uh, I wouldn't say concerning, but it's certainly interesting. But yeah, keeping tabs on what goes up on up in Newcastle over the next three or four years is going to be uh, it's going to be quality of year. How do you share um, Preno's um, calm and confidence about the new threat, I suppose, posed by uh, by Newcastle? Yeah, I think I think Preno's right in in what he says. Really, I think this this new influx of cash, however much cash it is. 
that Newcastle are going to have to spend now. It opens the door for them, certainly, but it's the decisions that come after this that are, which are really going to define uh, how far they actually go. I think Everton is probably the greatest example of that, isn't it? You know, we have our influx of money in 2016 and, you know, the decisions that we've made on, on and off the pitch probably since then haven't exactly been ideal for us to get to where we want to be in terms of, like, European football, etc. And I'm not sure any sort of influx of extra money would have accelerated our chances of getting into Europe in that in that time frame. So, you know, they've got a certain amount of money now and it's, you know, it, it is going to open a lot of doors for them. They instantly become a more attractive prospect to a lot of players across Europe and across the world. Uh, you know, they've obviously got a very big profile behind them already uh, with being, you know, a one-club city and having such a big stadium and all all that, etc. So, you know, they, they, they'll have a lot of doors opened up to them by the, by this uh, influx of cash, but it's going to be, I, th- I think, as Predo says, it's going to be very interesting to see what kinds of decisions they make over the next three or four seasons, perhaps, you know, whether... You know, whether they do sack Steve Bruce, whether they bring in another high-profile new manager who might help them in terms of attracting new players to the club, how much money they're exactly going to spend, because, you know, obviously they've not really been big spenders under Mike Ashley. So in terms of financial fair play, they seem to be in a pretty favourable position compared to, well, compared to Everton at the, at the very least, they're in, a, they're in an extremely favourable position. So, yeah, it's just going to be very interesting to see it. Uh, to see how they spend this money and whether they will uh, will succumb to a few of the pitfalls that Everton might have uh, suffered over the last couple of years or not, um, or whether you know they might use this uh, kind of platform to their advantage and you know maybe have a have a push for Europe and perhaps the title in a few years. You know we'll we'll have to wait and see, but yeah, I think it's not just money that's going to be the factor here. It's going to be what what they do after this point. I think is going to really define them. Adam, Adam makes a good point, though. They are not seemingly on the surface, you know, obviously just taking a, a, a very general view of their accounts over the last couple of seasons. They don't seem to be in any sort of anything like the tight squeeze with financial fair play rules and Premier League um, regulations regarding that as, as we found ourselves. So actually, it does appear, unless you're going to say to the contrary, it does, it does appear that the new owners are going to have a fairly good run being able to throw quite a lot of money at the squad. Uh, well, we were in the same place in 2016, weren't we? And before you know it, you can you can um, you can get yourself into into problems. I'm we've got to remember that Newcastle should be competing with us anyway. So, you know, similar size club, similar size fan base, all that type of stuff. Uh, they should be should be our competitors anyway. They haven't been for. for so I think we don't know how many times you finished above in the last ten years. I would imagine we've probably more than they finished above us. Don't know. I'm pretty comfortable because simple reason is FFP. They can only spend what they're getting in as income, and what they're getting in as income is, you know, through tele- television revenues, better sponsorship and stuff. Um, you know, you can you can if your income like us is two hundred million pound a year, you can only spend that in theory, and that does. So whether you were 320 billion or 3.2 billion it doesn't matter so in many respects uh, I found some of the some of the comments made slightly baffling you know it was I, it was that Amanda Stavey said we want to be the next PSG well whole regulations around football finance 
is to make sure that nobody can be the next PSG, that nobody can be the, in the top, you know, a top six club in this country. That's what like financial regulations are set out as they as they are. And so I don't, I don't really see them challenging because they're going in the short term because they've got all this money, but they can only spend what they're earning. And if you spend more than that, at some point it's going to catch up with you, like we have found over the last 12 months. So um, in terms of what they're going to do in the Premier League, I think they can only do in the short term, as good as what we're doing, potentially challenge for the top six. They're not going to win the title or be in the top four. For the simple reason, you need £500, £600 million a year to have that. And that's not going to happen to them. And, so, uh, so, so, Gav, without, I don't, I don't want to sort of just so I understand what you're saying. Is your stance almost you don't see them as suddenly just going to be able to race ahead of us and jump the pecking order at all because of the, because of the system that's in place? And actually, yeah. on the back of that, in two and a half, three years' time, when we have a new stadium, actually, they'll they'll be looking at us thinking, well, Everton are going to start earning more money and perhaps might reinforce a gap between the two clubs again? I, 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 well, yeah, I, I, yeah to, to a degree. Um, I know the, and also, having money, as we've found out, having money means nothing unless you've got somebody capable, people capable of spending it properly. Um, so, I'm not particular, in terms of being the competitor, I wouldn't be too worried. I don't think even the top four or six will be worried because they know that regulations stop people challenging financial regulations in the same way that, you know, Chelsea and Man City were able to, the FFP. So, not got, a, not provided, got an issue. Provided those regulations are enforced uh, correctly. Well, yeah, yeah, well, that's an answer, but then we can take advantage of that then, can't we, Pernod? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, I think, yeah, well, that is, the, that is the other benefit, isn't it, maybe to us, yeah. isn't it? But... As it stands at the moment, I don't think they're in a position to challenge. It was interesting to see some of the some of the stuff that was said yesterday that they wanted to make a, a gradual progression rather than a big bang, because I think they probably understand that as well. Um, mm. And so, if 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 you were the owners of Newcastle, you'd be looking at Everton in 2016, looking at the mistakes we made and saying we don't want to make the same mistakes as them. Mm. That's what. That's the first thing I would do. You know, in fact, if we all, if we all wanted to earn a few bucks, we could, you know, act as consultants, couldn't we? <laughs> uh, really, <laughs> because we discussed it. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not criticising Everton there. I'm saying that that was the natural thing to do in 2016, wasn't it, to spend that money? What we found what, out was it, though, was, was it? Was yeah. it? Was it? And look, and look, hindsight is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And I'm not going to sit here yeah. and say, oh, I, I was saying we shouldn't be buying all these players. Absolutely to the contrary, I was you know I was excited as anybody. Yeah. But is one of the lessons that Everton have learned, and perhaps Newcastle will learn, is even if you've got the money, absolutely treat it like it's your last penny because you don't have to spend it. You can keep your powder dry. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I mean, Farhad spoke about that window of opportunity, didn't he, in 2016, which I think was behind the, some of the some of the investments. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've seen that with us in the summer, haven't you? You can get good plays for a million quid. You know, it, mm. but it's it, it, it ultimately, in for, it doesn't matter how much money you spend. It, good recruitment is good recruitment, as you say, Phil. Whether you got a pound to spend or a, a billion pounds to spend, 
So I'm not anticipating seeing Newcastle challenging at the elite end of English football for, for a number of years, if at all, given the current financial regulations. So, you know, it, it, and so I think it would be interesting to see what happens there, that their approach. I suspect you won't see something like what we, we did in 2016-17, but I might be proved wrong. Prano, is, is, is obviously natural excitement amongst the Newcastle fans and we've all seen the images yeah. and stuff. Is one of the things, though, that still will hold Newcastle back and a bit as we have found as well, <laughs> you know, particularly in the case of uh, Olivier Giroud, for example, footballers, especially uh, players coming from out of the country, from Europe, ultimately... It isn't just a choice about a football club. It's a choice about location and a lifestyle. And ultimately, a lot of footballers will still be drawn to living close or near to London or maybe Manchester. Newcastle, as fine a city as it is and as big a club and, and as passionate a fan base, etc. Are they still going to find it difficult to entice, even with an increase in their wage structure, difficult to entice top European players to, to move to Newcastle just purely because of where it is? 100%. Yeah, of course they will, which is where it comes back to, you know, so shrewd and, you know, to use a, a Geordie phrase, canny recruitment. Um, I mean, they, they've gone down this road before, um, you know, in the early days of the Premier League. I mean, that programme has been on the BBC recently, you know, so revisiting all those days. And they were, they were fortunate in that respect. I know first, you know, Aspria was, you know, a bit of a left field, you know, sort of signing for big money. But, you know, the, the one big signing, you know, so that made the difference then was clearly Alan Shearer. Uh, you know, sort of coming in, it was a local hero who wanted to play for Newcastle, who had, you know, sort of passionate, you know, sort of ties with the area. And so it was much easier to convince him to come. Les Ferdinand was another one that was, you know, so maybe a little bit, you know, sort of more difficult to persuade, but he did. But the, there wasn't an absolute, you know, sort of influx of absolute top quality players from all over Europe. Uh, wanting to go to Newcastle, they were local, largely, you know, sort of local players, or say local, uh, British-based players, and um, shared with his obvious links. So they are going to find that to be a problem, yeah, and you can, you know, you can basically maybe attract one or two, you know, so with a huge sum of money and hope that attracts others. That's what Manchester City tried, you know, with Rubinho, uh, you know, sort of way back in the day. And Newcastle will find it difficult and they will have to, you know, sort of make a few mistakes, maybe spend more on one player than they'd like to in a bit to try and attract others to the area. But there's no doubt whatsoever it will be a problem, yeah, you know, for the for the reasons you've articulated and for the reasons that we discovered, you know, with Olivier Giroud. It's difficult sometimes and, you know, it's a little bit frustrating, you know, because to us, you know, it, it's a job, it's a passion, you know, so where you live shouldn't really come into it. But when you're as wealthy as modern day footballers are, it certainly does. You know, they've all got families they want to try and keep happy. And so London does seem to be a lure for um, for continental footballers more so than other areas of this country. So, yeah, you know, they're looking at it from the positive Evertonian viewpoint. That is going to be a problem for them. Mm. Um, Adam, obviously, the, 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 the secondary or the side issue, if you like, of this takeover is, of course, the fact that 80% backed by the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund and, of course, Saudi Arabia with with a, um, to say it lightly, dubious human rights record, shall we put it. Um, put yourself in the shoes of a Newcastle fan or, or actually flip it on its head. Say in 2016, um, we had... had That's had, shirts off there, Adam, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> bottle of beer. We you know, take it back to 2016 and, and say it wasn't Farhad Mashir, but it was the Saudi Arabia PIF and 
you know, CVC and the Ruben uh, partner brothers coming in, taking over Everton. How much do you think, hand on heart, the issues related to the, to Saudi Arabia as a, as a state would have on your reaction to this? Because I think, in honesty, in all honesty, I, I, I think, you know, I think it'd be very difficult to have sat there and and been against this influx influx of, of money and promises of investment because they've had such a tough time. I think if we were in that position in 2016, I can't honestly say I would have taken a stance and gone, I'm not I'm not happy with this because of Saudi Arabia. What what would you what do you think you would have been like? Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? And I think, you know, it's specifically in the case of Newcastle, they've had 14 years of rule under Mike Ashley, haven't they? And, you know, for the majority of that time that I can remember, Newcastle fans have absolutely hated Mike Ashley and they've be, they've protested pretty vociferously against him. So it, it had almost got to the point now where you almost think that, you know, anybody other than Mike Ashley was gonna was gonna do for Newcastle. And you know, the issues with, with Saudi Arabia, you know, I, I've seen a lot of Newcastle fans who are obviously, you know, against all the issues that, that have come up with this. But at, at the same time, this isn't this isn't Newcastle's problem to solve, is it? And it, this isn't this isn't a new issue that we have, not even just in football, in society, to be honest. The influx of cash, you know, at, at this sort of level, whether it's, you know, whatever sort of billionaire is, is pumping money into whatever club in the Premier League these days, you know, it, there's going to be, it seems that there's just issues, issues with everybody involved, isn't there? And, you know, the, the big, the big cash cow that the Premier League has become is just, it, it's taken, it's taken the football side of things out of it, out of it a little bit, hasn't it? And, you know, if you're a Newcastle supporter now, you, you know, you, obviously you you would probably feel like, know it would be right on a certain level to make some sort of stance against this and you know you, you know what would you even do like <laughs> at the same time would you just like not buy not buy a season ticket again for a, another period of time if you haven't been buying a season ticket while you've been under Mike Ashley as well like is that is that what the kind of thing you would do I'm not sure how you'd even protest against something like this because as I say it's not just it's not just a football issue; it's a societal issue, isn't it? You've you've got a lot of people making the links to the fact that you know the UK government deal with Saudi Arabia and in, in numerous sort of imports and exports, don't they? So if if it's good enough for the UK government, why wouldn't it be good enough for Newcastle United and their fans, sort of thing? So you know, I, I think there is there is certainly a moral standpoint that can be made on on something like this, but you know, I think football is as kind of gone beyond beyond the point of no return by this point anyway. I think, you know, the the fact that Saudi Arabia and all the implications that come with it have now taken over uh, a Premier League club by all intents and purposes, even though the Premier League's you know, three paragraph statements seems to suggest that the PIF aren't controlled by the state or something like that, which I, ju- I just think is... I find, that, I find that difficult to how they can police that, to be honest, but yeah. carry on. It's absolutely ludicrous, isn't it? But you know, I, I think this maybe does take take things to a, a new a new low in a sense. But I think we've already reached ridiculous lows, but by just the the straight influx of cash that the Premier League's had over over the last however many years, I think we this was this was an inevitability more than anything else. At the end of the day, it just so happens that Newcastle was the uh, was the club that they've chosen to uh, to invest in. So. 
if you're a Newcastle United fan, you, you know, it does leave you with a, a moral quandary in in some in certain respects. But whichever way uh, any particular individual Newcastle fan chooses to support their club over the next few years, I don't think anybody else can have any sort of complaints about that, to be honest. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Gav, if you're a Newcastle fan this week, would, would you be having concerns about where, effectively, where the money is going to be coming from now? Uh, not where the money's coming from. Who, who's, the, who's running the show? Um... It's a, it's a difficult one, this, isn't it? Um, I don't think it's supporters' problem to to resolve. I mean, you you know, it, it's it's a, the the concern. There's a couple of issues on this, isn't it? Is why the why the sales being delayed is because obviously they had this piracy issue in in the Middle East. So in terms of the Premier League, we weren't delaying it because we think we don't fit the. You know the the fair process is, is it's to, to do it. Well, you're you're using our product for nothing, mm. you know. Um, and once that was resolved, then the ownership goes through. Which you're thinking, in, in what are the big issues of the Premier League? There, well, it's more interested in its rights being abused than actually some of the bigger moral moral issues, which in itself is a fine wrong. So TV rights that. over human rights. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, which in case people aren't aware, it was Saudi, but using the B in sport feed and uh, for Qatar and 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 showing up for well, basically piracy, really, for nothing. So once that uh, sorry, just told, just an, just as an aside, Gav, there the, the name of the pirate channel was something like so like. Provocative. It was like B B Q out or B out Q. It yeah. was so like, you know, it was just like a middle finger to to um, to Qatar, wasn't it? Carry yeah. on. So without getting too political, the first con- the concern for me on this is I don't. I'm not concerned about Newcastle fans. If 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 some you know they carry on and go to the game and you want to that that you know let's face it that's what sport washing for want of a better phrase feeds off, doesn't it? That fans will support support you come up now. Um, and I'm not concerned about that. What I'm concerned about is is the Premier League, where we've now got two, three nation states, you know, for once about you know owner football clubs, um, or certainly heavily involved in with dubious uh, you know, human rights records, and how that how that fits in with the you know the the good work done by the Premier League and the clubs around those matters and so you know so like you know we obviously got taken and they've got the rainbow laces campaign all that type of stuff that Premier League clubs including our own do fantastically well is how how does how can you how can you seriously say you support those campaigns whilst allowing owners whose record in terms of accepting 
and it's not with acceptance that I mean in terms of um, handling or allowing that that freedom actually don't you know you know in fact in fact you're punished and that that's that to me is the big issue it's not about Newcastle fans it's about how how the Premier League has allowed that to happen you know and and, and that's done through football clubs to me, it's not, it doesn't compare with trading with countries. It, it's it's football clubs being used, and and um, I think th- there was a good point raised today. Is people are saying actually it's an attack against Newcastle. Actually, it isn't. It's actually people supporting Newcastle, not wanting them to be abused as a as a as a historic football club, and they sort of get that. Um, so the issue to me is with the Premier League, and. Uh, and I'm very uncomfortable with it, and I think everybody is, to be fair, over this. And um, that's the paragraph statement yesterday is not good enough, is it? Nobody to, you know, came out and said, you know, why did, why this is happening and stuff. It was just uh, did, didn't seem right with fit right with me at all, and it calls into question some of the initiatives really that the Premier League is involved in. Mm, absolutely, and um, Preno, just just back onto on field matters. I mean. It would seem, if anything is certain uh, over the next three or four months, maybe sooner, it would be that Steve Bruce will be sacked as Newcastle manager. Um, no surprise to see him give an interview to one of the broadsheet national newspapers. I think overnight, you know, clearly trying to set out his stall early, and and you know, you would, you don't blame him for that at all. Um, who do you think realistically would be in the frame to to take over? Should should the inevitable happen? It's a very intriguing one. I mean, I know the bookies at the moment have got uh, Stephen Gerrard and um, Eddie Howe as the uh, as the, you know, the the betting favourites at the moment. Stephen Gerrard would be a magnificent appointment for them because he's got the profile, because he's got you know so the the young managerial experience. Uh, it'd be a really interesting one. How I'm not quite so sure about. I know you know they would you know romantically would like to see Rafael Benitez uh, return back to the northeast I've seen that you know so mentioned he was hugely popular up there uh, but I think it's also worth pointing out that you know Rafa wanted this job a because the potential that he saw in Everton but equally you know he lives in the area you know so he wanted a, a base you know back in the northwest again and he's also never um turned his back on a contract in the 17 years that he's been you know so managing in this country and beyond um, he's always, you know, he's been sacked, obviously, but he's always, you know, stuck to his contract. He's never once broken a contract, and it would be difficult to see him doing so again, uh, Everson. So, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting one. Like, like everything with Newcastle at the moment, it's going to be really intriguing. Um, whether Gerard would even be interested, I don't know, but you know, that that would be an interesting one. But they need a high-profile appointment. I mean, that's what you know, Manchester City found, you know, and tried, you know, so many times before they finally got it right. Uh, you need a manager that's going to attract the very best best players to your football club, and um, it needs somebody with a little bit of allure, a little bit of excitement. And uh, beyond Gerard, I can't really think of too many, you know, sort of available at the moment who fit that bill. Um, I mean, arguably, you know, a better fit for them would be a manager, um, you know, who's Eddie Potter. For, you know, sorry, Potter for argument's sake, uh, Graham Potter, Brighton, who's um, you know sort of done the job and been successful. But would he have? I hate the phrase, but you know, the, the sexiness, you know, so to actually attract players to the northeast and therefore would he fit their model? Probably not. But somebody like him would be ideal for a project like Newcastle and would do a really, really good job. Um, but they will probably go for somebody, you know, so like I say, with that Hollywood box office appeal. And so somebody like Gerald maybe fits that bill. 
but yeah, I think we can safely assume that Steve Bruce uh, is not going to be the man who's going to take the club forward. And uh, it, it seems harsh. And, you know, the, the guy is going to be living on death row for a while. Uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be sooner rather than later before we see, you know, a, a change of management in, in some respect in Newcastle. Yeah, certainly with with regards to Rafa, our, our information is there's there's no sort of anticipation at, at the club that, that Newcastle will approach him. I don't think he's. Uh, I think they accept that he's moved on now and, and is, as Prano said, under contract at Everton and very very happy where he is and determined to uh, to bring success back to Goodison. Adam, a name that came to my head yesterday when the takeover was 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 going through and before it was confirmed, and I don't know what you think, Martinez. He was he was the exact man that I was thinking of. Genu- yeah. genuinely, like I'm sure he was asked about this after after Belgium's game yesterday, and he gave oh, quite, was he? Yeah, and he gave a quite angry response <laughs> to the fact that he'd been linked with these rumours straight after Belgium. You know, quite embarrassingly got beat <laughs> in the second half uh, yesterday. So, but you know that that will be an interesting one, and I think you know the Newcastle managerial situation is almost the first pitfall that they're gonna come up come up with because you know the the temptation would be to go for somebody like I don't know I've seen a, I've seen a lot of Newcastle fans suggest someone like Antonio Conte and you know the you can see the obvious temptation of going for you know such a high profile manager as that but if you are gonna try and do this slow build sort of project is Antonio Conte gonna be the man who's gonna start off that project for you and take you over the next you know three four five years probably not I think you probably would have to go for you know, less of a high-profile name, still quite a high-profile, of course, but, you know, somebody who will be able to build a project for you. I think Roberto Martinez probably would fit into that bill, and obviously he's got Premier League experience as well. Uh, Frank Lampard, I would say, would potentially fit, fit that bill as well. I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him at Newcastle if I was a Newcastle fan. Gerard, as Preno mentioned, but, you know, even you know some of the managers that we were linked with in the summer. You know, somebody like Eric Ten Hag, for example, Ajax, I think would be a great get for them. Somebody who can really build a project, you know, cement a style of play for them, and then potentially build them for the next three, four seasons, and then then they can get the uh, the high profile manager in. But it is just going to be interesting the kind of the kind of route that they take for this because this is the first like like I was saying before it's the decisions that they make now which are going to define them this is the first real test I think of you know how you know when they're going to sack Steve Bruce for for example and then uh you know whether they're going to do it mid-season or not or whether they're going to give them till the end of the year or whatever but you know when they do that and who they get in are you know two massive decisions so it's going to be interesting to see which way they go with it mm. Gav any uh any different sort of thoughts on, on who could no, potentially really. go in if, if they get rid of Bruce? No, I think like Lampard is a, is a shout. It goes back to what I was saying before. Is you, you, though they've got £3, £320 billion, they're still going to be restricted on what you can spend by the income of the club. And for some managers who used to spend them more, that won't fit in with their uh, mode of operandi, will it? You know? So uh, somebody like, like Lampard would, would be somebody you would think would fit the bill, young, good image, that type of thing. Um, I think we spoke about the moral question for supporters. We're just wondering whether there's a moral question for managers there. Or... And, of course, the other factor is the manager who does come in if, if Steve Bruce is relieved of his duties. He's going to have to resurrect a team that hasn't won a game so far. 
you know, that is not a squad yeah. that's in any way near perfect, no. is it? That's, that's a squad that's, no. that's got some serious deficiencies. Uh, absolutely. So th- th- that's the thing, isn't it? You know, you, you may only have a limited number amount of money to spend because you're income, but actually that's not supposed to put the club forward. It's just to basically redress the uh, the mistakes and, you know, lack of investment previously. So it's a big job even before you think to think about taking the club forward. So the incessant... I mean, Lampard, is he too, too inexperienced? Not sure. Um, Martinez, you know, if you like throwing away two gold leads, then Martinez is your man, isn't he? <laughs> he's, the, he's the, you know... Kevin here all over again, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. CV's listened with them, isn't it, really? But no, I mean, I just think it's... I think it's a lot harder job than what you think. And, 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 and I think doing it by stealth is probably the best way of doing it. So it's just been to see how it pans out. But Benita is now completely out of the question for me, um, thankfully. Well, there you go, Pleno. Thankfully, Gav says, and I mean, look, Gav was, was never vehemently opposed to Rafa. Quite the opposite, wasn't he? Yeah. He was very sort of um, yeah. very sort of open-minded about Rafa coming and could see the merits of, of appointing him. But there is that kind of sentiment, and it's not a strong sentiment, but it's a growing sentiment. And we've spoken about it before, but the fact that there will be a degree of almost relief that that Newcastle won't come in for Rafa and he will remain at Newcastle. Does speak volumes for the start that the manager's made and the impact he's had, albeit again, as we've spoke before on this pod, it, it is early. It is early, yeah, but he's made a very, very good start. And, uh, you know, so we, we can't dispute that uh, in any way. What the club needs more than anything now is a decent period of stability. Um, and you know, to get that stability, you need to be relatively successful, you know, so on the pitch, certainly, uh, you know, so off the hopefully as well. And, um, yeah, he, he couldn't have really have done a great deal more, you know, one mad little purple patch away at Villa and one penalty shootout defeat, you know, so a QPR. Other than that, it's been almost perfect. It could even have been, you know, even better at Old Trafford, you know, so but for the size of Yeri Mina's left foot or whatever it was, um, so. Yeah, you can't really, you know, so knock the fact how well he's done. And it's great to see, you know, so so many Evertonians coming round to it. I've seen plenty of people on social media hold their hands up and say, look, I I called it wrong. I didn't want him at all. But now I can understand why. Uh, I've seen others a little bit more, you know, so reluctantly doing so. Plenty were on board, you know, from the off. And, uh, you know, so delighted that, you know, so that that it's turned out the way it has. But I think it's just we're in quite a good international break at the moment, aren't we? Because so often, you know, though you get beaten, it's two weeks of you know frustration and rancor, and you know, so can't wait for the next game to try and you know, sort of get back on an even keel again. This time it isn't. We're actually reflecting on a really good, solid start to the season on new signings that are being brought in, who've all been successful largely. I know Solomon Rondon still finding fitness, but you know, he's not done anything wrong. You know, and he's uh, the the other guys that have been brought in have been inspired signings. So, yeah, you know, Everton are in quite a good place at the moment. And so the last thing in the world they need, uh, you know, discomfort of other clubs coming sniffing around your manager. So, yeah, it's quite pleasing to hear that that's not likely to be the case. So, yeah, let's just enjoy this little period of stability at the moment and hope that we can continue. I know we'll talk about it, you know, in, in pods next week, but, you know, what a big game the West Ham game is now, you know, so and how important that could be. Um, stay with you, Pranil. I'll ask you a question I was uh, asked by yourself to answer this week. Give a mark out of 10 then for the season so far. <laughs> um, what did you go for? I think you went for an eight, didn't you? Um, yeah. 
Yes, I would agree with you. Uh, I was toying with the idea of maybe, you know, so knocking half a mark off just because of that little Aston Villa, you know, so purple patch. But having said that, I blame the referee for not giving the foul against Damari Gray when he did, which could have, uh, you know, sort of changed that game totally. Now, I've been very, very pleased with what I've seen so far. You know, there's an absolute structure and there's a game plan to what we're trying to achieve. You can see the style of football the manager's trying to implement. Uh, I saw a stat this week about, you know, so we've had probably less possession than, you know, so the majority of teams in the Premier League this season. But it doesn't show because we're creating chances because we're getting, you know, so quality balls into the box for scoring goals. We're getting shots on target. Um, the high press statistics are, are massive. They're really high. Um, you know, so Decore looks like a player reborn. The players that the manager has inherited, he's actually produced better players from he's actually you know sort of given them a new lease of life in many respects the signings have all been excellent so yeah eight out of ten i think not being overly optimistic or being you know sort of seeing things through you know sort of blue tinted spectacles i think it's, it's a genuine mark on how Rafa started his job so far Interesting that one about about possession, isn't it? Because our possession under Carlo Ancelotti last season was particularly low. But the issue was we weren't actually creating much. We were we were winning games one nil. I think we won seven games one nil, didn't we? And it was rear guard actions. But actually, was, Rafa's Rafa's actually taken the the other way, hasn't he? Well, it was dull to watch as well. I mean, everybody took the mickey, didn't we? Out of uh, Liverpool, Brendan Rodgers, you know, talking about possession statistics all the time. And oh, well, lads, you've won the possession again this weekend. But, you know, generally, next you know, up, lost games. And the only statistic that matters is the final score. Um, and then it helps, of course, if you're seeing entertaining football on the way to that final score. And we are. I mean, we've actually enjoyed watching games this season. We've gone behind in plenty of games, which we'd rather not have done. But we've recovered well because the character's been great you know, so in those matches. So you go into matches now, you're seeing entertaining football, you're seeing efforts on goal from Everton, you know, so rather than the other end. And uh, you're seeing football worth watching. So, yeah, statistics can say all they like. I mean, the bottom line is if you're enjoying your football and you're winning football matches, everyone's happy. And you know, that's what's happening at the moment. Ad, um, what would you give the season so far out of 10? Uh, if you're marking the manager, then I, I would say an eight is an absolutely fair assessment because I think, you know, the biggest mark that we've had against us so far this season has been that League Cup exit to uh, to QPR. And, you know, you can't really blame the manager for that, I don't think. I think it was really it was really the efforts of some of the players that took to the pitch on that evening that I think really worked against us. I think we were we set up in the right manner. And, you know, if we'd have if we'd have played in the second half like we played in the first half, then we probably would have won that game quite comfortably but you know that's probably the only real mark against Rafa obviously Preno mentions that 10 minute spell against Aston Villa but you know that kind of that kind of happens with football doesn't it we discussed that at the time it was came just after we'd done the exact same to Burnley sometimes you know when the crowd gets behind the team those kind of things can happen so I can't really blame the manager for for that again I think you know there's a couple of couple of decisions here and there you know substitutes here and there that could have been made and you know, the way we started games like like we did against Burnley and Southampton at home, for example, I think, you know, maybe the way we set up at the start of those games was maybe uh, not the way it should have been. But, you know, those are the only real questions that you can have against Rafa, uh, I think, over the over the first uh, few weeks and months of him being in charge. Because, yeah, let's be honest, over the last few weeks in particular, he's been, <laughs> he's been working with a pretty threadbare squad in terms of key players. You know, having Seamus Coleman out, I think, has probably been one of the most underrated uh, absentees that we've had over the last couple of weeks is at the end of the day, he's the club captain. 
And you know, we we probably said at the time, you know, that we played Aston Villa. I think if Seamus Coleman plays in that game, we don't collapse like like we did, uh, and concede three goals. I think he organises the defence a lot better and galvanises them to to react a little bit better. And yeah, so I think he's his absence has been a little bit underrated. And then obviously, you know, to be losing Richarlison and Calvert Lewin at the same time, I don't think Carlo Ancelotti ever had to deal with uh, an issue such as that. So. You know, the fact that Rafa Benitez has not only dealt with that issue over the last few weeks, but has dealt with it well enough to, you know, beat Norwich at home, you know, in a game that, you know, that kind of game we were probably losing last season. Uh, we lost to them the season before at home, of course. So, you know, that, that shouldn't be brushed under the carpet. That's a good win. You know, getting results against Manchester United at Old Trafford probably could have been a win as well. You know, stuff like And that, that was, you know, a lot of that was down to the heart and tenacity shown by the players. But... The way that Rafa Benitez set them up as well, they were practicing counter attacks throughout the throughout the week in training, as Andros Townsend and Demardi Gray said after the game. So you know, Rafa Benitez has a clear plan in place to go to Old Trafford and get a result, and the the players managed to pull it off, almost pulled it off to to a perfection in the last few minutes. So if you if you're assessing the manager, I, I would say certainly an eight is a, is a, is a fair enough mark. I could argue you could even. Mark him a little bit higher, considering some of the uh, circumstances that he's had to face over the last few weeks. Gav, pair of eights on the season and the manager so far. Uh, are you in agreement? Will you make it a full house? Uh, yeah, I think there's there's two elements to this, isn't it? I, first of all, I'm not going to for Craig yeah, yeah, yeah. to come on with their critical comments, but he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this the, I think the one national newspaper grades at the managers this this, this week. Uh, and uh, I think Benitez was one of only four managers to get an A in in the Premier League. Um, so I'm definitely starting at an eight. I think there's two elements of it. It's on the pitch, but it's generally it's off the pitch, isn't it? It's organising, it connects with fans, making the fans feel good, feel as if they're watching something that's worthwhile, that the team's playing for them, all the type of stuff that's been missing. Largely, let's face it, for a lot of the last five years. Um so I would say on the pitch eight, but in terms of restoring what the word is credibility of the squad with the with the fans and and, and a club with the fans, nine easy for me with Benitez, and I think um, you know that that's that, that's what he's expert that's that's where his expertise has been the previous clubs hasn't it connecting with the fans and and giving the fans what they want to say and and I think um, yeah I have no problem giving. Eight stroke nine there, based on it is on and off the pitch uh, performance. Which you also see, you you saw the effect of that even before we kicked the ball this season, hadn't you? You know, and, and the stuff that was coming out of Finch Farm and what he was saying. So, I'd I'd I'd, I'd go up to a nine then. If you see my Bruce turns to her left and goes, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why not? I mean. I think he's done. He's done the job you would expect him to do. Is what why he's brought in, and I, I uh, and and there's. I don't think most any fan, elephant fans have got much to complain about really, apart from a penalty shootout defeat in ten minutes of you know madness at Aston Villa, which which happens in games, doesn't it? Really, by and large, we've been uh, we've been excellent, and that Man United, I thought we were superb. To be honest with you, Brill. Excellent chats. Well, uh, with a unexpected reference to Strictly Come Dancing, we'll we'll end it there. I think on that note. Was the Preno such uh, a big fan of Strictly, by the way? 
Well, right? reveal live on Facebook. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> Are you lining yourself up for a future series, brother? Yeah, absolutely not. No, it's just it's on in the house all the time. You can't avoid yeah, it. Yeah. There's so, no. the excuse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, chaps, thanks very much for your time. Uh, thank you very much for not only listening, if you are listening through the usual podcast channels, but also watching today live on Facebook. So hopefully you've enjoyed uh, the live show today. Um, we'll be back next week, of course, as uh, as the lad mentioned, a big game on Sunday at Goodison, uh, West Ham, the visitors when the international break is over. So really looking forward to that game and we will uh, look ahead to that match uh, in the pods next week. But thank you very much, everybody. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.